Coming up on this episode, Garrett Lee joins us to talk about her new books, Unforgotten and Heartscape. Welcome to episode 288 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Will Knaus, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Well, Rainbow Romance readers, before we get to this week's amazing author interview, Jeff has some information about an upcoming event. Yes, I am very excited this week to be hosting a live virtual event for Doylestown Books, which is located in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. We're going to be celebrating the recent release of Philip William Stover's The Beautiful Thing Shop, which, as you remember from just last week, I gave it uh, pretty much the most rave review <laughs> that is possible. All it the was, stars. It was all the stars. So this event will take place this coming Thursday, February 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern. That's 4 Pacific time. And we're going to be talking about all about this book, which, of course, this series that he has is set right next door to Doylestown over in New Hope, Pennsylvania. So it's going to be really fun, I think, to be talking about this book right there in its hometown. So that's going to be a lot of fun. You can find more information, including how to register at doylestownbookshop.com event. And if audiobooks are your thing, Philip's books in the Seasons of New Hope series, along with some of the books that we're going to be talking to Garrett Lee about, are available on Libro.fm. Now, you know we love Libro.fm because every time you buy an audiobook from them, you're actually supporting a local bookstore of your choice. And that is so important. All you need to do is get the free Libro.fm app, and you are good to go to pick up any audiobook on that site. Listeners of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast can get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one, and all you need to do to take advantage of that offer is go to biggayfictionpodcast.com slash librofm, that's L-I-B-R-O-F-M, and all the details are right there for you so you can take advantage of that great offer. And now let's actually get into this week's interview with Garrett Lee. I had such a wonderful time talking to Garrett about the books that she's got coming up with both Unforgotten, which comes out this week, and then her entry in the Vito and Veritas series, which is called Heartscape, and that comes out a month from now. So let's talk to Garrett. Garrett, welcome to the podcast. It is so wonderful to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been an avid listener for a long time, so it's a real honor to be on the radio with you. <laughs> so we've got so much to talk about because you're having quite a run here in February and March. And it starts off with a release that happens this week with Unforgotten, which is the second book in the Forgiven series. And that first book only just came out it as did. well. Yeah. Tell us about this series. Well, this series began with a MF book called Forgiven, which is the first book in the series. And it's a book that I wrote quite a few years ago and then kind of shelved because my main work, as you know, is in MM. And I've kind of forgot about it. And then I got a new laptop and, you know, you have to do that horrible transition from one laptop to the other. And it's just really traumatic. And anyway, I found this file and I thought, oh, I forgot about this. And I shopped it around a bit and Harlequin said, yeah, yeah, we'd really like to publish that. So they took it off me and they they went through the edits and then they came back to me and said, there's two brothers in this book who we'd really, really like to see you write in future books. And as it turned out, those two brothers, one of the female character's brother and then the male character's brother actually fit really well together. And that's how we ended up with Gus and Billy in Unforgotten. 
That's really awesome. I like that Harlequin kind of took that lens on it, which they're doing so much. I mean, yeah, with yeah. the Karina and the Karina Doors books. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the editorial team they have at Karina is really passionate about diversifying their line. And it just happened to work out really well this time with what I had already in the bank and kind of and what we could create from what they wanted and what I already had. So it worked out really well. And Gus and Billy are just wonderful characters. I'm always shocked that I didn't think to write their story in the first place. I'm quite disappointed in myself that it wasn't my idea. <laughs> what was it like revisiting them after the time had passed from when you put them in that first book? To, yeah, I mean, it was you know. years. It was literally four years in between one book and the next with the writing. And actually, I think in the end, it worked out really well because I'd had all this time to not think about it. And then I, suddenly I was thinking about it. And perhaps I think if I jumped from one book into the other, it might have been a bit more rushed and the characters wouldn't have been quite as, as developed. Because I think even when you're not thinking about characters, they're still kind of percolating in the back of your mind somewhere. So they'd had all this time to develop. And Billy in particular, by the time I came back to him, four years later, I had a much better idea of who he was and where I wanted him to go. So it kind of worked out in the end. I, mean, I wouldn't always recommend it because sometimes you get you come away from a book and you never think about it ever again. But this time, it, it panned out quite well. What do you hope people take away from specifically, I guess, Unforgotten, but then the kind of taking the series as a whole? Because I noticed that in this particular instance, not only are the two books available standalone, but then they've also already been essentially put into a duology as well. Yes. Well, in Forgiven, you've got the main female character is Mia. And she left her hometown and went to live in France and had a terrible marriage. And then she's returned to her hometown to start over. Leaving Her little brother, Gus, was still in her hometown. So she's come back to live with him and open her flower shop. But unbeknownst to her, while she's been away, her high school sweetheart, I suppose you would say in America, has also returned to the hometown. And Luke left this hometown to join the Navy when they were 18. She never forgave him because he kind of left in the night. She never knew where he was going. It was awful. So that book kind of centers on them rebuilding their relationship and her forgiving him. And then in the background, you've always got that Luke didn't just leave Mia. He left Billy, his little brother as well. So there's, it's a parallel between what Mia had to forgive Luke for to what Billy has to forgive him for as well. And when Billy comes back, he ends up living with Gus. And then Gus is kind of this lovely, burly, gentle giant of a man. But underneath all that, everything that's gone on with Mia and Luke, with Luke and Billy has hurt him as well. So it's really interesting to see how Billy's issues with forgiving Luke are very obvious, but with Gus, everything's a lot more subtle. And it was kind of exploring the same issues, but from very different points of view. And the series as a whole, I suppose, is more about, you know, it's more about family and those bonds that however angry you may be with someone, that love is always still there. That's really lovely how these two bind together in that way. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, because you've got the, the, the sibling relationships are, are, are so strong between all of them and kind of writing this romance into this deep family bond was quite complex, but it really, it's really nice. It's really sweet. 
How much adjustment did you have to make in the first book to allow for the that more binding together and creating the second one? Well, in the first book, Gus's relationship with his sister, Mia, is already very strong. He's a really, really lovely man. And she's quite fiery and a bit more sharp edged. But she, you know, she, their mother died when they were teenagers. So they're very close. They're all each other have. And it's really nice. So that relationship was already there. But the relationship between Billy and his brother was a lot more distant because they hadn't lived together or been in each other's lives for a long time. So developing that relationship on top of developing Billy's relationship with Gus was was quite complex as well. It sounds like really satisfying work to go back and build that bridge and then do the yeah. additional book. It was a it was a really really nice experience. I I did really enjoy because Billy's quite a sharp edged character as well. He's a little bit of a rascal. He comes when the book opens and he's living in a caravan at Scrapyard where he's working. And in the opening chapter of the book, he loses his job at the Scrapyard for punching someone who kicks his cat. He's, he's quite a spiky character. You know, he, he's got a very quick temper. He can be quite rude when he's not happy about something. So that's always a fun character to write. And then you've got Gus, who's just so nice, so easygoing until the one moment when he isn't. And that's a pivotal moment in the book. That's wonderful. Is there more expected in this series or is it going to be just a duology? I think at the moment it's just going to be a duology. There's no loose characters floating around who need a story. But, you know, it's possible that I would go back if it's something that Harlequin wanted and write a novella where the two couples kind of a glimpse into the future. Perhaps it's something we've talked about, mm -hmm. but I guess it's, you, you never know, do you? You never know. Nothing's ever completely finished. A Christmas reunion or some or something yeah, in the future, something, perhaps. Something nice, something nice with lots of cats. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, next month, you've also got on March twenty second, you've got an installment in the multi-author Vino and Veritas series with I Heartscape. Have, I am so excited about this series. I, it's been in the works for such a long time. We've put so much into it to see it come out into the wild is just incredible. And you actually get a, a pivotal character to work with here because you're working with Tanner, who actually owns the wine bar, uh, yes, part well, of the bookstore. He is the manager. He doesn't own the bar. The bar is owned by Annabeth Albert's character, Harrison, who appears in Featherbed, which is the first book in Vinos and Veritas. But Tanner is kind of the human glue that holds the entire series together because he's introduced in Roommate, which is Serena Bowen's kind of intro book into the queer line. And then he appears a few times in Featherbed as Annabeth's character Harrison is opening the bar. And then in my book, the bar is open and he's the manager and he appears in every book after that because he's the manager and you do it's it's really really cool actually because you get to see he's kind of off page a lot in the first two books so you get to kind of wonder who is this guy and why are people so worried about him why do people care so much about this guy then you meet him and you get to read his entire character arc where you see everything that's happened to him before that makes him who he is you get to see him fall in love you get to see his brother relationship developed with his brother Gabriel and that's really nice and then you see him in the subsequent books as the series goes on so you really do see a whole arc of development with Tanner that 
is quite unique actually because it does span every single book. And and tell us more about Tanner's story and and what kind of unfolds in Heartscape. Well, Tanner is a Burlington native. He he graduated from Colbury High School, which is the fictional town that Serena created in the original True North books. But he left Burlington to he has a brother called Gabriel who's about 18 months younger than him. And it's often remarked in most of the books that they look so alike that they could be twins. And they're both these kind of dark haired, dark eyes, bearded mountain men. And they're, they're just lovely. But he leaves Burlington to work in mountain rescue in Alaska. And when he's there in Alaska, there's a couple of incidents on the mountains. You know, they lose people in various accidents and stuff. And he decides, you know, this isn't doing me any good. So I'm going to go home. So he comes back to Burlington and he gets a job with Wildfoot Adventure, which is a fictional adventure company that works in the Vermont countryside with the, um, the mountain trails and wildlife and stuff like that. So he gets a job as a ranger and his job is to run the most low key trail. So the man who owns the adventure company, because he knows what Tan has been through in Alaska, thinks, OK, I'm going to put him on this trail and everything's going to be fine. And then it's not fine. Something happens on this kind of gentle mountain trail that kind of pushes Tanner over the edge. And for a quite some time before my book opens, he's not very well. He's quite sick. And then his job at the wine bar is kind of his fresh start. So when he comes to work at the wine bar, he's still quite fragile but he's making a real effort to turn his life around. And that's how we first meet him. You know that he's been through these things and that he's still quite fragile, but he's working really hard to be better. And that's where we start off with Tanner. And by the end of the book, obviously, we've developed that a lot more. And of course, in this, he's meeting Jax as well. Yes. Jax is Cornish. So he's from the UK. He's an ex-surfer and he has the most beautiful voice which I'm really excited about because the books will also be coming in audio and we just recruited a narrator that I've worked with before in a lot of my books his name's Dan Kelly and he does the most amazing Cornish accent so I'm really looking forward to the audio book of Jack's fantastic yeah I'm, lo- mm. I'm looking forward to the actually the entire series let's just be serious <laughs> yeah entire... you know it's it, there's so much talent packed into that author list. It's a real honor to be among it. It's just, it's such an amazing concept. And you were talking a little bit about the arc of the books too, with Serena's really nice roommate offering that, you know, first glimpse at Vito and Veritas yeah. and then Annabeth's book, which is also on the sweeter side. And then we pivot with your yeah. book. Yes. The original True North series was often like that. It had really gentle moments, but then it had moments that were really quite gritty because I think the first book in the series was a a couple who met on a farm and it was all very lovely. And then the second book, there was a heroin addict and all kinds Mm -hmm. of things going on. So it was important, I think, particularly for Serena to, to keep a variety of tones I suppose going throughout the series so you don't get the same experience with every book it's, it's a very different experience with every book and I think when Heartscape comes out it's the first real kind of angsty moment in the series to kind of kick that off and I was really really excited to be the one to do that. 
when we talked to Serena in episode 281, talking about Roommate and the series, she mentioned mm-hmm. that you and Annabeth Albert were two that she really spoke with a lot, creating Vino and Veritas to spin off yeah. from Two North. What was it like for you to be involved in some of those initial discussions? It was amazing because we were the first two to sign on with the project before she recruited the others. And Annabeth and I are actually good friends. We've been good friends for a long time. So it was the most natural thing in the world for us to sit down and talk about this and to have Serena as kind of the guiding, fearless leader, almost. It was such an inspiring conversation. And we had we had quite a few. And what stands out the most for me was the way the wine bar developed from initially being coined as a gay bar to being something a lot more inclusive. Because I think Serena has it quite well in that at the end of Roommate. For Kieran and Roderick, it's a gay bar because that's how they identify and that's what it is to them. But then as you move through the series and you've got bisexuals and you've got women and it's the bar is what you want it to be. It's an inclusive space. There's a place for everyone there. And it's just, it's like a dream bar, really. You know, it's the bar we all <laughs> want to go to. <laughs> right. I was disappointed talking to her that this wasn't created from a real place, perhaps, you know, that I could maybe yeah. go visit in reality. So I think yeah. the three of you should just open one. <laughs> I would so do that. I would so do that. I mean, it's a place that came from Serena's heart and, and Annabeth and I just helped her give it legs. I think and it was just a real privilege to be involved and I would love it to be a real place. That would be amazing. In terms of Tanner, I mean, as you mentioned, you've got this character that shows up before your book a little bit and then goes on forever after essentially in the series (laughs) as that human glue. How much do you get to influence what other people ultimately do with Tanner and and Jax for that matter, if Jax is showing up in other books as well? Yeah. Well, with Jax, I'm very lucky because I think there's only a couple of other British authors on the list. And then there's Anna Ashley. I'm not sure who else is British. So because he's British, everyone will run their dialogue past me. With Tanner, I've had to leave people a little bit more to their own devices, but generally people are coming to me with any scenes that involve him. So I do get a little bit of say in how he's portrayed. But actually, these authors are all so good at what they do. I've not really worried about it. How is it for you as like the original creator to know that your character gets to live on? Because that doesn't, other than writing our own series, you know, as authors where we get to just keep certain people going in the background in this case you've got other people who get to use him oh it's you know it's just amazing because it's like the gift that keeps on giving isn't it and actually because I'm not the one writing it it's exciting to me for me because I get to find out what he's doing and I haven't had to sit down and write it myself (laughs) (laughs) so it's, it's an experience for me as a reader and I was always a big fan of the True North series when Serena wrote them so to I'm in a very unique and very privileged position in that I've got to contribute to it as a writer and I also get to experience it as a reader as well. So it's amazing. And and a little bit of a creator too, because of some of those initial discussions between you Mm. and Annabeth and Serena, you kind of have that triple hat going on there. Yes. Yes. It's, 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 it's a really, yeah, yeah. It's just a real privilege. I've just enjoyed it so much. And actually, I can't remember when we first started talking. I think it was back in May in 2020, perhaps. So actually, although it feels like a long time, it actually came together 
quite quickly. And it's just, sometimes you have, you agree to a project and it's something that kind of hangs over you and you spend a lot of time thinking, God, how am I going to do this? How? But with this project, it just seemed to just fall out of all of us, you know, and it was just, it came really naturally and really organically. And it's something that we all really enjoyed. And it was just such a pleasure, the whole thing. I mean, I am relieved that it's over, <laughs> that I've written my book and I'm done, but it was a process that I really, really enjoyed. And it's amazing too, when you think about the the track of the project, because as you mentioned, you were talking about it in May, you know, for Serena, it had to be a little bit before that just to yeah. spark the idea. And she mentioned that it had come to her kind of in the early days of the pandemic, but in, in roughly a year, it's gone from seed of an idea to mm. multiple book series. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's 18 books in the VMV series alone. And I think in the broader world, there's going to be 45 titles because you've got the Muyu Hockey Universe and then you've got the Busy Bean series as well. So it's absolutely enormous, really, when you think about it. It's such a gargantuan task. I've got so much admiration for her and the team that she works with for putting it together. I'm Rather there with go. you. I, c I wouldn't want to figure out how to do all that. <laughs> oh, goodness me. No, I, I don't have the kind of... I'm just not organized enough. It would be absolute carnage. If I was at the helm of this, I, I can't deny it. It would be horrific. It's such a wonderful thing. I can't wait. March isn't going to get here fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm, I know I'm really proud of my book and the books that I've read in the series. I'm actually reading Eden Finley's book this week as well, which is called Headstrong. It's the same world, but through different eyes every single time. And that's just, it's such a staggering thing. I just, I love it. Let's go back in time a little bit. You've been in this game for a number of years now. Yes. What got you started writing? I first started, I mean, I've always been a bit of a storyteller, but I started writing properly way, way, way back in the Twilight years when Twilight fan fiction was huge because I think like a lot of kind of secret writers, there was a lot of loose ends left untied in that series. So there was so much to play with. So I began writing Twilight fan fiction many years ago. And through that, I met a lot of people who were doing the same thing, who were at the same point in their lives as I was. And it's kind of almost snowballed. And then the next thing you know, you're in this whole other world and you've left Twilight behind and these characters that you've created are actually yours. I'd say that was probably 10 years ago. I've been a published author since 2000 and. 13. So it has been a long time. That's a nice, long career there. And, and it started in Twilight. Did you have particular characters that you started writing with in that universe that like kind of pulled you in to tell more story? I was story? a big fan of Jasper because he was this soldier character that had this huge backstory that wasn't explored. And, you know, you leave fan fiction writers alone long enough with a backstory and they've created a whole new universe out of that. And actually, I can't even remember what actually happens in the real books. Fan fiction writers are such unsung heroes. I think you go back and you read fan fiction now and some of the untapped skill and talent in fan fiction is unbelievable. Yeah, and so many in, in our genre came up through fan fiction. We hear that all the time talking to authors. Yeah, well, I think as well, as a queer author and a writer of MM and things like that, there wasn't a platform for us 10 years ago. So you had to write fan fiction if you wanted to be seen, I suppose, if you wanted to be heard, because it just wasn't around 
in mainstream romance the way it's becoming now. It was a very different genre back then. What got you started writing M.M.? You know, I, that's a very interesting question because I identify as, as queer, but obviously I'm female, so it wasn't, it wasn't a biographical thing. I think it just worked for the characters I was writing at the time. It just, it worked. And I, had, I do still write M.F. as well, but M.M. was a genre that really spoke to me and I became really passionate about. And I can't imagine really ever it not being my main genre that I write in. And it works out well for me now. I mean, I'm married to a wonderful man who also identifies as bisexual like me. So we have a very, it really, it really suits where I am in my life right now. Who are some of your author influences in the MM space, especially as you were starting out? And even oh. who do you look to now? Well, you know, there weren't many around back when I was starting out. But I would say now, I mean, Rowan Parrish is just the most wonderful, lyrical, beautiful writer. I can just read her stuff and I just die of happiness. It's amazing. I'm a big, big, big fan of Avril Ashton. She's just the most incredible writer. She'll take something that's perhaps seen as taboo and she just makes it into this wonderful, rich world. I, if I pick up an Avril Ashton book, I can't put it down. I'm also an enormous fan of Riley Hart. I think the way she writes is incredibly beautiful. And I would say, I'd say those three. I mean, I've always been a big Serena Bowen fan, obviously, and I'm a massive Annabeth Albert fan, but I would, I would say definitely Rowan Parrish is probably my number one. And then um, you've got Avril and Riley as well. But I think we're really blessed at the moment in our genre. There's such a huge, diverse range of work out there. I think there really is something for everyone at the moment. Yeah, I, I would say that is is very true. If if you want to read it, you can probably find it very yeah. easily in our diverse landscape right now. And frankly, mm. there's too many good books to read. That's why we don't go out, really. Right. <laughs> even even if we were not in pandemic times, it's like I have a book to read right now. Yeah. <laughs> in your writing, do you have favorite tropes that you like to work with? Oh yes, hurt comfort is a huge, huge favorite of mine, as everyone would probably tell you as well. I like to take, like a lot of my characters are disabled or they have mental health problems or something like that, because it's really important to me to show that people with these conditions, something like OCD or multiple sclerosis or something like that, that you can still have your happy ending, that romance doesn't cure anything. You don't have that magic pill when you fall in love with someone that makes everything else better, but you can, you can have both. You can have your happy ending as well as living with some of these complex conditions. So that's a big thing of mine that I enjoy exploring. And I'm actually, I'm looking at the notes that I made from the questions you sent me yesterday. And I've realized that both Unforgotten and Heartscape both feature this kind of housemates to lovers trope. So that's obviously a favorite of mine as well. It seems to be in play quite a bit because, of course, you had roommate, too, from Serena. Mm. And it's like there's this yeah. moment of housemates books <laughs> happening. <laughs> Yeah, just lock them in a flat and they'll sort it out themselves. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> with Unforgotten, they live together from the beginning to the end of the book, whereas in Heartscape, Jax does actually move out, which contributes more to his character arc because the relationship that Jax has come from, that he's left behind, is important to him to live independently. Mm -hmm. So although he lives with Tanner for a while at the beginning through circumstance rather than anything else, he does actually strike out on his own. 
but I do like the housemates to lovers things. I think you don't really know someone until you live with them, do you? So true. Yeah, you kind of get to see all the good, bad, and the ugly there. It's a little bit forced proximity yes, at times, but it's not quite the full snowed in. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not it's not quite Stockholm syndrome, but <laughs> <laughs> right. As you're exploring some of those things like OCD or multiple sclerosis and things like that, that must just add to the writing time because there's the research to do mm. there and everything because you want to capture those characters. Yeah, I mean, there's some conditions like the very first book I wrote, well, one of the very first books that was published was a book called Only Love. And there's a character in that book, Jed, who has a disease called gastroparesis. And I had some direct experience of that. So that so that came a bit easier. And things like OCD and addiction and alcoholism are things that I've lived with through, either through myself or through family life and stuff like that. So that's not too complicated. It's when you do take a really complex disease, like I wrote a book called Dream quite a few years ago, and the character has, in, in the UK, it's called ME or chronic fatigue syndrome. And that was a very interesting book to write because even though I thought I knew what that illness was by the time I finished writing the book it was clear to me that when I'd started I had no idea so it can be really Mm eye-opening sometimes particularly if you reach out to readers and sensitivity readers and ask for their experiences what you find out really does add a different dynamic to what you originally started with these days actually I find I use sensitivity readers with almost every book especially if I'm writing someone from, I mean, I wrote a Russian character in my Christmas book, Angels in the City. Even with Heartscape, although I I felt I was quite well-versed in PTSD, I I still had a psychotherapist read it to make sure that the um, representation of the medical care Tanner has at the end was accurate. And actually, even to the point where I had to have some, I had Annabeth read it and then Karen Stivali read it and then Serena read it as well. And then we got someone else in completely new fresh eyes to make sure that no Britishisms had crept in to any American dialogue because it had been a long time since I'd last written a book set in America so yeah you can never have too many eyes I don't think I think that's very true and I would imagine that each set of eyes that looks at it depending on the notes also just makes the story and the environment just that much richer with that added absolutely Absolutely. It was there was quite funny in some places with um, with the, the wine bar is in a place called, I think, Church Street, which is Church Street Marketplace in Burlington, which is Serena's stomping ground. And then you've got Karen Stavali, who's also a New England native. So they both had different views of the same place. And then the editor that I used was Edie Danford, and she was from around there as well. So she, again, would add more to certain situations because she'd seen it in a a different way. And that was really interesting to watch the three of them describe the same place in very different ways. That's awesome to have all three eyes kind of looking. It was helpful because I've never been to Vermont in my life. So (laughs) next time you're in the States, maybe you can go check out where Vino and Veritas is supposed to be. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. It's on my bucket list. Definitely. So we talked about tropes a little bit in terms of like subgenres. Is there a subgenre within MM romance that, you would want to try out but quite haven't sunk your teeth into yet you know i wrote one wolf shifter book a couple of years ago called fated hearts because i'd become completely engrossed in a series that was written by annabelle jacobs 
and I loved it so much that I had to write my own book and then I had to go back to her and say can you help me because I think I've messed it up <laughs> and you know she's just the most amazing wolf shifter writer so she helped me a lot and um, that's definitely a genre I would love to go back to but it's one of those things you're like am I good enough to play in that sandpit because it's such a diverse little subgenre with all the different ways you could write in there and I was just like wow and I loved it so much I had to have a go but I'm still to this day not sure if I pulled it off enough to go back interesting so maybe more there from you in the future sometime yeah, yeah maybe <laughs> maybe I just need to work myself up to it I think what do you think the trademarks of a Garrett Lee book are? Oh, wow. Definitely. I, I mean, most books are about character development, but my, my writing is very character focused. I mean, the location is obviously important and people's occupations and the plot and things that happen. But for me, I like to take a character from A to B at the end of the book and it be a real journey. That's really important to me. And I like to show the highs, but I really like to show the lows as well and what makes a person who they are. Yeah, I could definitely see that in your work mm. as well, those strong character arcs. Yeah, I like to write characters that you don't always have to like them, but they have to be unforgettable, mm -hmm. I think. I don't, I want, even if someone doesn't like a book that I've written, I like it to be something they think about for a long time afterwards. What's a book you've been thinking about a lot? recently that you might recommend to our viewers kind of outside the V&V &V books that you've been reading uh, along anyway? Oh, well, I recently began to read a series that I really enjoyed. It was by a duo of authors. I think they're called Krista and Becca Ritchie, and it's their Like Us series. And I think it's quite diverse. It's got MF and MM in it, but the first two books that I've read in that series are both MM, and I really, really like the dialogue in those books it's really sharp it's witty it's young so it's quite you know it really it's really really good and I've really really enjoyed those books and I think they are quite popular anyway but I think and um, because they've come from MF writing I think they're not quite as big in MM as they're going to be when other people get their hands on these books because they're really really good I will have to check those out because I have not yeah. heard of those. So thank no, you for I, adding I, my TBR. <laughs> I stumbled across them by accident. And I started, cause I, if I see a cover that I like, I will always have a look. And I started to read this book and it just, it's got really strong characters and really, really, the dialogue just totally hooked me. I mean, when I, if I'm reading, especially with younger characters, the dialogue has to be really, really sharp. And they really, really smashed it with these books. I really enjoyed them. Excellent. All right. Going to Amazon as soon as we're done here to find that. <laughs> Besides what you've got coming out right here, February and March with the Forgiven series and then Heartscape, what else can you tease us about coming up later this year? Well, during lockdown, I accidentally wrote a book called Redemption, which came out last year. And it's about a young man who's come out of prison. And then I put it aside to concentrate on Heartscape for Serena. And the book came out and then I, I decided in a moment of madness that I would write two other books to go with Redemption. They're called Deliverance and Salvation. And each book will feature two new couples. And I'm hoping, if everything goes according to plan, that Deliverance will come out possibly in May. And then just before the summer kicks off, so probably the beginning of July, hopefully, 
salvation should come out to. So that's what I've got planned for the summer. And then in the winter, I do have a brand new series percolating that's probably going to be set in a fictional town right at the bottom of Cornwall. But that's all very much pie in the sky at the moment. I like <laughs> how you said... I like how you said that you accidentally wrote a book. Well, it wasn't on my list. <laughs> it wasn't on my schedule. And it just kind of just popped into my brain. And I, I, it was right at the beginning of lockdown when everyone was locked in their houses. The children were at home. So I was doing my best to ignore them and pretend they weren't there. And luckily, because the weather was nice, my husband spent the entire of that lockdown in the garden, gardening. So I had all this time to myself. So I kind of locked myself in my room and wrote this book, Redemption. And it just, it was one of those books that just came really well, really fast. And it was just a really, really easy experience to write this book and people seemed to like it. And they, I always knew there was more to it but because I got swept up in the V&V series. I'd kind of forgotten about it. So once I was done with that, I came back to it. And um, yeah, so that's what I'm working on right now. And do we get the the usual wonderful Garrett Lee Christmas story come December yeah. as well? I hope so. I hope so. I have started thinking about that because for me, because I'm an artist, my cover art tends to come before the book. Mm. So I've started looking for a bloke that speaks to me. <laughs> so we shall see. Right. Christmas Fingers books don't come easy to me because they have the, there's a certain beats you have to hit with a Christmas book that aren't always natural Garrett Lee books because... Christmas books are so nice and so pleasant that I have to work really hard to be that nice for that long. <laughs> for Yet they always months. turn out so so wonderfully. Uh. Well, you should know that I just about died writing each and every one. But I'm always really pleased with them at the end. I really well, like them. I was really fond of Jonah and Sasha from this year. I, yeah, I enjoyed them a lot. And how can everyone keep up with you online so they can kind of keep track of all these things as they get ready to come out? Well, I'm generally everywhere because I have teenage children, so I have to be everywhere to make sure they're not up to no good. So I am easily found on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And recently this year, because I have a 13 year old, I'm also on TikTok. I don't know how to use it, but I'm there. <laughs> I'm there just pressing buttons and hoping for the best. So we're not going to have a, a dance video of you at some point on TikTok? Goodness me. Only if I wanted to give you all nightmares. <laughs> Garrett, it has been so wonderful to talk to oh, you. Thank so you so much fun. for coming to hang out with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I've had a lovely time. This episode's author interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And don't forget, the show notes page also has links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. I loved talking to Garrett about the different ways that these books actually happened for her. You know, everything from Harlequin suggesting to create Unforgotten because of the brothers that appeared in Forgiven or working with Serena and Annabeth Albert on the Vino and Veritas series, <laughs> or even deciding in that moment of, as she put it, madness, <laughs> to do another two books as sequels to Redemption. It was very interesting to get that kind of look at her process of approaching story. 
Yeah, very much looking to those upcoming books. All right, everyone, I think that's going to do it for now. Coming up next Monday on episode 289, authors from the Magic Emporium universe will be here. So if you missed the live event we had in January as this series launched, now is your chance to hear all about the Magic Emporium universe as we talk to series creator Megan Maslow, as well as authors Kim Fielding, Elliot Grayson, Jackie James, and Reese Lawless about the new series. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, please stay strong, be safe, and above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our original theme music is composed by Daryl Banner. Thank you.